And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. On the phone line with us today is Dr. David Hoxett. He's professor of English at Grove City College, where he serves as writing program director. Dr. Hoxett, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thanks uh, so much for having me. There was an article published just a little while ago by the Center for Vision and Values, and you wrote it. Uh, It's called The Ironies of War and Armistice, Reflections from the Demilitarized Zone, and uh, kind of caught my attention. That's uh, something I don't know too much about, and uh, some time ago, back in the 1950s, was this terrible conflict um, between North and South Korea. The United States got involved in that, and so um, you were over in Korea, uh, I believe, on... um, an assignment or something, teaching English. So before we talked about the DMZ zone, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your assignment and, and teaching over there. Uh, sure. Well, actually, um, uh, several years ago, um, I think it was around 2011, uh, I was doing some volunteer teaching at a university in China, uh, the Yanbian University of Science and Technology. Uh, and that's a very interesting place. Um, it's a, a fully accredited Chinese university uh, started by um, a uh, Korean uh, Christian businessman. Uh, and, and his vision was to try and uh, reach the people of China, um, but also the Korean people uh, with the uh, gospel of Christ. And so this un- he created this university and is completely staffed by uh, volunteer uh, Christian professors. Uh, and the main population it serves... Uh, uh, are the uh, the uh, Chinese Korean that they're considered a um, an ethnic group uh, in China? China has roughly fifty three or fifty four different ethnic groups, uh, and these uh, um, the uh, Chinese Koreans are considered one of these ethnic groups. Uh, so, in this in the the, the uh, prefecture called Yanbian. So, this university is there, and I did some volunteer teaching during the summer of uh, two thousand ten and two thousand eleven. In 2011, I, I met a, uh, a professor, a Dr. Uh, Sam O. It turned out that 20 years prior, uh, he uh, attended a church uh, in New York, uh, and uh, at the time, there was a deacon. Well, 20 years later, he, he was the pastor of the church that I went to uh, in New York. Um, so we had this connection, and then it, it turns out he was also very good friends uh, with uh, Dr. David Ayers, who's the dean uh, here at Grove City College. And so I met uh, 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 Samo. Uh, he introduced me to uh, uh, Dr. Ayers, but he also introduced me to uh, a, uh, a small Reformed theological seminary uh, in South Korea. Uh, and they were—they're interested in um, exposing their uh, seminary students to the liberal arts. Uh, and so uh, I was invited uh, in 2012, if I remember correctly, uh, to do some uh, teaching there. And then I was invited again for this uh, this summer, uh, where I taught uh, a longer time, two weeks. I did uh, a morning uh, uh, session on uh, academic discourse and academic writing, uh, helping the, the, those seminary students uh, be trained for um, scholarly writing in, in the seminary, and also for uh, preparing sermons. And then in the afternoons, uh, I uh, taught a class on um, a literary interpretation. And so that was my assignment there in uh, in South Korea. Well, that's really neat. And uh, the students uh, at this um, seminary, were they anxious to learn? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think as 
most students are uh, less anxious to learn uh, the writing elements, but they were definitely very appreciative, um, and they uh, uh, really enjoyed uh, the exchanges and giving them tips and strategies for not only uh, scholarly writing, but also you know, helping them uh, outline and prepare sermons and, and integrating outside information and so on. Yeah. Um, but also they were very interested in uh, different uh, um, ways of approaching text and textuality, uh, and so we <clears throat> spent a lot of time um, uh, uh, learning about uh, different literary uh, theories and applying them, uh, and we used uh, two texts. The first week we looked at The Lord of the Rings, and the second week we did uh, Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet. Mm. Uh, and so we had some really fascinating uh, discussions, and I, and I was really interested um, about you know, the things that they picked up on as uh, seminary students, but also as uh, uh, Koreans. Um, so they, you know, they had some interesting uh, perspectives themselves. Now, um, really quick, also, uh, what language do they speak? Uh, uh, Korean. Uh, some of them are also uh, Chinese Korean, so they spoke a little bit of Chinese. And uh, there were, let's see, there were uh, seven students, um, and three of them could speak uh, English. Two of them really well. One of them um, mm-hmm. uh, a little halting in, in the English, but we were able to, to converse. Uh, so what I, I would teach uh, in English, and we had a translator. So basically. Ah. Uh, so I would uh, say a sentence or two, and the translator would translate it. And so we would kind of go on like that. And then with discussions, they would ask questions mainly in Korean so that other people uh, in, in the class could understand the question. And then the question would be translated, and I would answer in English and then be translated. <laughs> and then, we, yeah, we had small group discussions. Um, I would have, I always made sure I had one of the English speakers in one of the groups, uh, and so they would um, uh, report back from the group discussion in English and then translate it into Korean for the rest of class. And we also had some uh, guest students, um, oh, some uh, college students from uh, some of the local churches. Uh, they sat in on some of the sessions as well, and so that, you know, and one, of, one or two of them spoke English, uh, but mostly they, they spoke Korean, so it was important to have that translator. So you really uh, had a very busy two weeks, and then uh, at the end of that, you're pretty tired out, I would imagine. You want to kind of decompress, as you put it in your article, and so you get to visit this uh, DMZ. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, well, as I mentioned in the article, I, I was a bit nervous. Uh, uh, people, well, it was just even going there uh, originally, um, just to teach in Seoul, I was a little bit nervous because of the you know the current state of affairs with uh, North Korea and so on. Sure. Um, so my <laughs> my my family and um, brother and then father and they're like, "Are you sure you should be going right now?" I was like, "Well, if, you know, the, the it's in the Lord's hands. I think this is a good good thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, going to the seminary uh, and teaching there." So. I just put it in the Lord's hands. I figured, you know, it'll go well. Or if not, it's still in it's still in the Lord's hands either way. You know, um, so yeah, I was I was nervous to uh, just to start, go there. But then when it was all done, you know, people had t- were talking about, yeah, you really need to go to the DMZ. This is uh, you know, this is a great trip. You have to go. Uh, and so I kept thinking about, oh, should I do this or not? Well, I'm here. Uh, I might as well do it. Um, because uh, I heard you know wonderful things about this particular tour, mm-hmm. uh, and there there are basically two main tours. One is a full day tour uh, uh, where you go to a different area called uh, uh, Panmunjom. I don't know if I'm really pronouncing that correctly, but uh, Panmunjom that's the one of the main areas. But that particular uh, site of the DMZ was closed that day mm-hmm. uh, because they had military uh, operations and maneuvers going on. I, I think partly in response to the ICBM that sure. North Korea shot. So that area was closed 
uh, to to the tours. But the other um, tour, more of a half day tour, uh, so I went uh, went on that one. Can you describe some of the things you see there? Uh, you know, we're we're here in America. Things are relatively peaceful, except maybe a few bad spots and cities. But what does this um, demilitarized zone look like as you approach it, and what do you see there? Well, I, I uh, left from Seoul, uh, Seoul City. So Seoul is it's like New York City. It's you know this amazing, bustling, uh, you know, urban, urban place. Um, it's very exciting and, and dynamic. And as you drive north towards the DMZ uh, and you leave Seoul, it becomes uh, much more um, rural and agrarian, almost pastoral. Uh, it's a you know, beautiful landscape. It's very hilly and mountainous. Uh, the peninsula there. Uh, and there are lots of farms, particularly rice uh, paddies. Uh, but as you approach the DMZ, you start to see a little bit uh, of uh, you know, evidence of, of, of a military presence. I, I mentioned in the article it's kind of ironically named. It's called the demilitarized zone, but it's probably the most militarized area there. <laughs> um, and, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, but so as you get closer... Uh, you, there are uh, lots of, uh, of rivers and, and you know, ponds and things, and so you start to see more uh, barbed wire uh, that goes across um, the, the bridges. Um, you start to see um, walls uh, that are sort of uh, separating certain areas so that people can't uh, uh, approach uh, the borders. And then as you get closer and closer still, you see more uh, presence of military vehicles and, you know, military personnel. Um, and then there's um, a uh, checkpoint, a civilian checkpoint. Uh, so when you go on these tours, they, they tell, it, tell you ahead of time, please, please make sure you bring your, your passport because um, they, they have a checkpoint. So uh, everyone on the bus, uh, as we approach the, the, uh, the, what's called the civilian checkpoint, uh, it's, it's a, a, a guarded uh, a gate uh, that, that goes across the, the highway, and you stop there, and the uh, uh, soldier comes on, talks to the uh, the driver and the uh, the tour guide. Uh, there's a full list of all the people who are on the tour, uh, and the the soldier gets that list. And then, um, as they walk through the bus, everyone has to you know, take their sunglasses, glasses, and hats off. They open up their their passports to the picture page, and the uh, soldier checks. Um, each passport with with the person holding it, and then you know checks the uh, um, the names on the list. And mm-hmm. So that was, uh, I mean, to be expected, and it's understandable. But it was a little bit uncomfortable, you know, because <laughs> you, you you don't <laughs> expect that on on most tours. But you know, two soldiers uh, uh, get on the bus uh, in full gear, helmet, and so on, uh, and they're going through checking, uh, you know, checking your uh, documentation. Yeah, and these are South Korean soldiers. Uh, that's correct, yes, because we're on the South Korean side, so these would be the South Korean soldiers. So do you get a sense of how the people feel there in South Korea with all that's going on in the North? What are their sentiments? What are their concerns? Um, well, interestingly, um, it's almost, the day-to-day, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like people are talking about it, um, worried about it. I think because they've, they've lived with it since uh, you know the 50s. Um, so uh, in that sense, when you're down in Seoul, when you're away from the DMZ, it's really not much of a conversation. Um, however, uh, they do have a very active sort of uh, you know, political activism, if you will. Um, the day I landed, there was actually a, um, an anti-American protest in, in downtown Seoul next to the uh, the uh, president's uh, residence. And so the uh, the embassy had sent out 
you know, emails uh, letting people know, hey, if you're American, you might want to avoid <laughs> avoid uh, uh, downtown Seoul in this particular yeah. day. There's a, a protest, anti-American protest. Um, so you do have is actually uh, the younger generation. They're they're in general, in my sense is um, that they're opposed to American military presence. Um, they, they don't like that. They're kind of growing tired of that. Um, what the alternative in their mind is, I'm not really sure. Um, but uh, so there is a sense of you know, a significant portion of, of uh, the South Koreans don't want um, the mili- uh, American military presence there anymore. Um, there's also uh, a sense that in the younger generation, they're not so interested in reunification anymore. Yes. Um, yeah, which was uh, kind of surprising uh, to me. Um, but uh, you know, I talked to some people about that and. Um, the uh, the what, what their sense is in the older generation, uh, you know, they many of them still have family in the north. Um, they grew up with a, a sense of a unified uh, Korea. Uh, uh, after the last uh, dynasty um, in the early 20th century, when the, the Sino-Japanese War, the Japanese I- invaded uh, Korea to use as a launching ground towards their wars with both Russia and, and China. So uh, since the uh, 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 early 20th century, uh, Korea was controlled by Japan. So they have uh, the older generation still has that memory, um, and uh, they're uh, they're used to the idea of a unified Korea. And then with, with the defeat of Japan after World War II, there was this great excitement that oh, we could finally get our uh, country back. But then it didn't work out that way due to uh, tensions between America and and uh, Russia after World War II. The Russians actually decided they were going to control the northern part of uh, Korea, and then America decided, well, we're going to have to control the southern part. So that's how you got the original split between the north and the south. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my understanding from, from what you know, folks were telling me there. And uh, so when they decided to pull out, there was a, a north, when Russia and America were to pull out, there was a government formed in the north based on communism. A government was formed in the south based on democracy. Um, and the idea was that the two of these governments, after the the foreign powers left, after Russia and America left, these two uh, governments were to get together and decide on a unified government for all of Korea. Well, that didn't work out. No. Um, <laughs> so the, the communist North wanted to wanted all of the peninsula to be communist. The, the democratic South wanted the whole uh, country to be uh, a democracy. They couldn't come to an agreement, and so the, the, the North st- uh, established their own country, the South established their own country, and then um, the uh, North, unfortunately, decided that they would do a preemptive attack uh, to, tr- to try and take over the whole peninsula, mm-hmm. and that led to the Korean War. Well, the, these older generation, then they have that remembrance of wanting to have a unified Korea. They're saddened by the split and the war, and they, you know, they want to reunify. Yeah. The, the younger generation, you know, they've, they've lived with the idea of a North and South Korea. So this burning desire to, to reunify, you know, they don't really have that same desire. Um, and also there are you know, pragmatic and economic issues that they're concerned with. They, my understanding, again, is that they've, they've studied, you know, what happened with uh, Germany, with the reunification of East and West Germany, and just how, you know, the, damaging that was economically, how challenging that was, both politically and economically, and they, they don't want to experience that themselves. So you have a kind of a split uh, within the younger generation. Some decide, look, we don't want to do this, and um, 
it'll be way too costly because uh, they would end up having to pay high taxes for this reunification effort because the, the North Koreans simply couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, they don't have the financial resources. So they recognize that if this were ever to happen, it would be a huge financial burden and they don't want to do it. Um, and then there are others who are like, okay, yep, we understand that. But, you know, these are our uh, our kin. These are our Koreans. Uh, shouldn't we, you know, uh, agree to have this temporary short-term, you know, expense for long-term benefit? Um, so that's kind of an ongoing uh, debate, and, and mm. I and I can sympathize with that. I I understand that. Um, yet at the same time, I, I think, well, should we really reduce this problem to mere economics? Yeah. Um, you know, th- these are human beings here, and and of course you have um, many Christians in the South in, in South Korea who want to witness to the the Christians in the uh, I mean people in the North uh, where there is no religious liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they see this as a, an opportunity to, to reunify and then bring the gospel to, to the North. So it's, uh, it's an ongoing uh, debate, but it, it seems uh, more and more as with the younger generation there, they, they have little interest in, uh, in wanting to uh, reunify. Mm. Your article also refers to loudspeaker broadcasts. Can you tell our listeners what that's all about? Yeah, that was, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, because you, you hear that as kind of a stereotype of the Cold War. Um, you, you, you have, uh, uh, I've been to China many times, and there's certain areas where they still kind of have this idea of, of broadcasting things, but it's not like the propaganda that, that you get. So you go on college campuses, you'll have, you know, radio that's uh, broadcasting music. You'll have student groups who give uh, news announcements. But, you know, it's not the same sense of, of sort of communist propaganda that's being broadcast. But, man, when I went to... Um, the DMZ, at the first uh, uh, lookout point that we went to, uh, the, the Dora Observatory, um, it was hard to, to even hear our, our tour guide sometimes because there were these loud broadcasts. Hmm. And so I finally asked her, what is that? What, what's with this broadcast? What are they saying? She said, well, the, the, she said that the, uh, the speaker quality it wasn't really good, and it was so loud that it was distorted, so she couldn't really make out everything. But, mm-hmm. And then she gave me kind of the rundown of what's going on. Um, it said ever since they, they started with the, the DMZ, the, uh, uh, there's been this sort of uh, um, broadcast war, if you will. So the, the North Korean government, they broadcast um, uh, propaganda news uh, about what's happening in, in, in the North. Um, they have these messages in which they invite the, uh, their um, you know, comrades in the South to, to leave uh, you know, capitalist oppression, come to the free North, join your brothers in the fight against uh, commercial capitalism. Yeah. Um, they also broadcast uh, um, a, a type of patriotic opera, uh, which is um, very reminiscent of, of uh, sort of the uh, Chinese uh, patriotic opera from the Culture Revolution day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so that's what the North is broadcasting across the DMZ to the South. And then the, the South answers uh, by broadcasting... Um, uh, news of the world, letting, trying to let the North Koreans know, oh, yeah. hey, this is what's actually happening in the world. Um, they broadcast um, in, uh, in response to the uh, the uh, opera, the patriotic opera. They <laughs> they broadcast K-pop, which <laughs> is sort of cr- Korean pop music, uh, dance music, mm-hmm. and, and so on. Uh, and so there's there's these cultural wars, if you will, uh, through broadcast uh, back and forth. Uh, and there was a brief period of, of time when when they stopped that. Um, there was a kind of a, uh, an effort from the South Koreans um, to 
uh, create these little commercial zones in, in, in just across the border. Uh, uh, several companies um, paid to build factories and to give jobs and so on to North Koreans right across the border. Um, and so there was kind of a, what they, they hoped it was a win-win. The North Koreans would, would have uh, uh, you know, good-paying jobs compared to you know, what their, their um, normal salaries would be. Um, good jobs. Um, the South Korean companies would have uh, relatively cheap labor. Um, the um, North would get goods and products uh, from this manufacturing, and then, of course, the, the South Koreans would, would benefit from having these things produced uh, mm-hmm. more cheaply. So during this time of, of economic exchange, um, and this was in, um, if I remember right, it started in the late 1990s into the early 2000s. Um, so during this time, there, there was a, a ceasefire, if you will. They weren't doing these broadcasts mm-hmm. back and forth. Yeah. Um, but then recently it was revealed that, unfortunately, the North Koreans were actually taking the, uh, the North Korean government was taking the, um, the profits from that, those uh, industries. Um, taking that and using it to, among other things, to develop their, their nuclear weapon capabilities. Ah, yes. Yeah. And then they were paying the, the workers, not, not in cash salary as they were supposed to, they were just paying them in food rations. Uh, and so it didn't quite work out the way the South wanted. Oh, too so, bad. Yeah, and so they just they, they stopped that, that whole exercise and program. Uh, they shut down the exchange, and uh, we drove past the, the highway bridge uh, uh, there was a toll booth set up where the trucks and cars going from the south to the north would, would deliver you know, the, uh, the necessary resources and so on for, for that industrial area. Uh, well, that's all blocked off now. Uh, and then once they ended that uh, economic exchange, the broadcast started again. That's amazing. Now, we, we have maybe two or three minutes left. Uh, your article also mentions something about a tunnel, and uh, could you quickly share some information about this tunnel. Correct. Um, uh, so they've discovered four tunnels uh, across the DMZ. Um, and I had no idea about this until I went on this tour. <laughs> uh, apparently, since the 50s, when they had the, the armistice, they created the demilitarized zone. Uh, and, there's, and technically, these two countries are still at war. There was, there was right. not a, uh, um, a peace treaty. This was simply an armistice, a ceasefire. Um, so uh, the countries are still at war, actually. Well, um, there are certain rules and, 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 uh, and such for this armistice, and one of them, obviously, is that they're, they're not to engage in, in, in you know, firefights anymore, um, and they were not to try and invade each other. Well, what, what, we, uh, what they found evidence of, particularly in, uh, uh, around the 1970s, they started discovering these tunnels. Uh, and what the North Koreans were doing is that they were tunneling for uh, you know, many kilometers from the North Korean side uh, underneath the DMZ uh, and with the intention of reaching Seoul. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it is amazing when you think about it, just the, 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 the audacity of this, but also the, the desperation, it seemed to me. Um, but they were very intent on digging these uh, tunnels in which uh, tens of thousands of North Korean troops would, would, would be able to go through these tunnels and pop up at different points near Seoul. Uh, they, could, they could get military, uh, the soldiers, uh, armaments, and, and small, um, you know, small shell armaments through these tunnels, enough to overwhelm you know, the security forces in Seoul and, and quickly take over uh, the, the South Korean government. So that was the intention. 
and they claimed that they were digging for coal, I believe. <laughs> right. So that was the cover story. So they weren't expecting to be discovered. Um, and actually, uh, they, they discovered in different ways, but the way they found this particular tunnel is called Tunnel Number 3. There was actually a North Korean um, civil engineer who defected. He somehow made it across the DMZ um, and uh, got to the South uh, Korean side, um, defected, and then said, hey, look, I'm, a, I'm a, a, an engineer. I've been working on these projects. I don't know exactly where these tunnels are, but you have to know they're, they're building these tunnels to try and invade your country. And so they had a rough idea of where they were, and so what they did is they started drilling holes down, and they put tubes in and filled the tubes with water. The idea that if there was a, a, a concussion from the uh, dynamite explosions on the ground, it would you know, force water up out of the tubes. Mm. And so they discovered a general location. One of, one of the tubes suddenly started spouting water. So, okay, we're close. Then they dug uh, more holes and put uh, tubes in, filled it with water. And then the idea being if they actually found the tunnel, the water wouldn't remain in the in the tube and said it would go through the tube down into the actual tunnel. Right. And so eventually they found the location of the tunnel. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then once it was discovered, of course, the North Koreans fled. They went in. They, they sort of tried to uh, mask the, the dynamite powder, saying, oh, we're, dr- we're just drilling, uh, we're uh, trying to find coal. And they spread coal and dusted the walls with, with charcoal <laughs> dust and such in order to, to for cover for their story. But uh, geologically, they know there is no um, coal there. And why are you looking for coal? coal in yeah. South Korea territory, so it's pretty obviously what they were doing. It's amazing. Well, today we've been talking with Dr. David Hogsett. He recently visited the demilitarized zone uh, between South Korea and North Korea at the end of his trip when he was teaching uh, English. Um, David, if someone would like to attend Grove City College, how can they go about doing that? Uh, sure. Well, they can go on the website, um, gcc.edu, uh, they can get information there. They can also um, send an email to admissions at gcc.edu uh, to get more information on how to apply. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, Dr. David Hogsett, Professor of English, Grove City College, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs>